the Art of Leadership Network. Welcome to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. It's Carrie here, and I hope our time together today helps you thrive in life and leadership. I'm so excited to have Andy and Stacy Wood on the podcast. We are going to talk about following Rick Warren, the detailed breakdown on how the succession at Saddleback happened, how to navigate the grief and the promise of transition, and also at the end, Stacy Wood is going to join us, Andy's wife and also teaching pastor at Saddleback, to talk about women in ministry and being kicked out of a denomination. Uh, Anyway, yeah, we're going to do all that today. So glad you joined us. Hey, I have an opportunity for you. We have not done this uh, really ever, but I'm doing a live podcast recording in Atlanta on April 26th. And the first 250 people to RSVP are invited. You can go to cnlp.live for all the details. That's cnlp, Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast, dot live for all the details. And Uh, Today's episode is brought to you by He Gets Us. So what impact did all of those Jesus ads at the Super Bowl actually make? In a few minutes, we'll hear from Glue's CSO, Brad Hill, for a quick update. So Andy Wood did what a lot of people thought was, (laughs) and these are his words, not mine, only an idiot might do, and he became the pastor who followed Rick Warren. He breaks down the details on how the call happened, exactly what they did during the transition, which six months in, eight months in, seems to be going extremely well, and how the congregations involved, Echo Church and then also Saddleback, navigated both the grief and the promise of transition. And then Andy and I shot this interview live in Orange County at Saddleback in his office a couple months ago, and uh, it was great, had a really good time. And then the incident over women in leadership and a denomination kicking them out happened. And Andy texted me and he goes, hey, I think we should address that. And I said, yeah, well, if we're going to, let's have Stacy on. So there is a second interview at the end of the first interview where Stacy and Andy join me together remotely. And we talk about that for about 30 minutes. So anyway, we decided to ignore that would be a mistake. And uh, you can see everything on YouTube if you want. Or of course, a lot of you are listening. We know that. Anyway, I have a special announcement that I am very excited to share with you today. If you would like to experience an episode of this podcast being filmed live and in person, you have the opportunity to do exactly that. I want to invite you to join the special live recording of the podcast in Atlanta, Georgia, the morning of April 26th. That's a Wednesday. You'll get to see me and hear a very special guest be interviewed in person. You can be part of the audience, have a chance to ask your questions live, and stay for a short meet and greet afterwards. It's completely free to attend, but registration is required. Seating is very limited. If you're interested in the spot, please only do so if you're 100% committed to attending. So if you want more information, be the first in. Go to cnlp.live. That's cnlp.live. Or if you're listening, click the link in the description of this episode. That'll take you immediately to there. And no doubt you have watched or heard about the ads at He Gets Us in the Super Bowl. Well, the ads ran during the big game, but what happened after that, right? It's one thing to see them. It's another thing to see what happened. So I sat down with the chief solutions officer at Glue, a partner of gets us, Brad Hill, and we talked about it. Here's what Brad had to say. So, Carrie, for all the talk about giant ads and Super Bowl and TV coverage, I believe the power of He Gets Us is here. This is like the individual conversations that we all get to have. Um, and we're, we're pouring through now thousands of stories that people have been texting in or emailing in. Uh, the number one message we got, by the way, is how can I support what's happening here? with He Gets Us. But we have stories, um, for example, 
people that were in conversations watching a game and a friend that they've been trying to talk to for years about Jesus sees an ad and says, that's pretty cool. What do you think about that? Um, I've got parents of teenagers who have said, um, I've been trying to talk to my teenage daughter who's now 19 and this ad is finally what broke through to her. Or another parent said, I'm sending my son with resources to school so that he can talk to his friends about these ads. Um, And then we have 27,000 people, Carrie, who have obtained shirts or hats or other types of merch from the campaign, but they didn't pay for those things with money. They actually said, hey, to get my shirt, I agree that I'm going to forgive someone or I'm going to love an enemy or I'm going to go out of my way to um, help a stranger. And so those are... 27, 28,000 people who are being inspired to some simple act of love, you know, based on seeing an ad in the Super Bowl, for heaven's sake. So we think that's pretty amazing. So the Super Bowl ads that he gets us were in, a lot of people are asking, hey, was that actually worth the money? Like, was that worth the spend? Because it costs a lot of money to be in the Super Bowl. It sure does. Yeah. And, you know, Carrie, you had Bill McKendry on the podcast uh, recently, and he went much deeper into some of the advertising industry tips here about budget. But, you know, there's two, two ways to look at this. One is, as an advertising spend, if you have the budget, the Super Bowl is actually one of the best deals you can get. You had estimated 113 million folks watching the game. And you've seen the same research I have. People, it's about two thirds of people watch the game for the commercials. Commercials, yeah. And we don't fast forward them. What's also fun is you watch typically with other people. You're maybe watching with family and friends. And again, our whole point was to start conversations. So we're, we're thrilled about the return on investment there. But also these ads have inspired incredible physical acts of love, service, help, restoration, et cetera. And we're continuing to see those stories pour in. So, you know, as an investment, we're actually feeling quite good about the spend on Super Bowl. And that's going to continue through the, through the year as we see more people really reflecting this radical love of Jesus to others. To learn more about the He Gets Us campaign, visit hegetsuspartners.com slash carry. That's hegetsuspartners.com slash carry. And now, my conversation in Orange County with Andy Wood, and then a remote conversation. All this is on YouTube too. You can find that, by the way, at kerryneuhoff.com, a remote conversation with Andy and Stacy. So enjoy this episode of the podcast. Andy, good to be with you. Welcome to the podcast. Kerry, thanks for having me. Yeah, it's good to hang out again. And I got to start with a big question. Why on earth would anybody want to follow Rick Warren at Saddleback? Like, it seems like almost an impossible task or a suicide mission. Yeah. Um, so let's start there with an easy one. That's a great question. <laughs> so uh, I remember probably it was like June of 2021 when yeah. Pastor Rick put out his big announcement that he was transitioning from his role. And I remember watching on YouTube and I literally, the person that texted me, I said, I wonder who's going to be the idiot that does that job. <laughs> so that was like what went through my mind. The, mm-hmm. Like who would want to follow a legend? It's a great question. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, first of all, I think it's a God story. You know, God was at work in all of it. Uh, I would say that that's the most important component is there was a very clear calling that God put on us for this role. So break that down a little bit. Yeah. What did that look like? I mean, we got time. So Stacy and I, we were in the San Francisco Bay Area. 
we'd planted a church called Echo. Uh, that church came out of a vision that I had when I was in high school. I had a, just this desire to share my faith with my friends who didn't know Jesus. Uh, that led to kind of this 10-year journey, learning as much as I could about church planting, then eventually moving outside of the Bible Belt, where we were, Southwestern Seminary in Fort mm-hmm. Worth. Uh, we had been there for 14 years. When we went, it was really a lifetime calling for us. Like we we made a commitment. We read a great book called The Purpose Driven Church. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The author talked about making a long-term commitment. So we went there with that long-term. And how old were you when you started Echo? 27. Yeah. So you're young, 27, going to be there for life. Yeah. And uh, we went there just with this like passion and desire that we'd be a part of a movement of church planting, really didn't have anything else on our hearts or minds. Uh, fast forward 2019, late 2019, early 2020, um, I just started to sense something internally. Like I, I can't figure out what it is exactly what God is doing. I know so this you, is pre-COVID? Pre-COVID, okay. yeah. And I, I think it's God's grace to me that it was pre-COVID because I, mm. I might have thought it was Everybody COVID. had questions during COVID. Yes. <laughs> right? So before that, like, what did you notice? What did you see? Uh, I, Carrie, honestly, the main thing that happened was I just could not visualize myself living the rest of my life there in the Bay Area. Like, it just, oh. it was the weirdest thing. Uh, I had a conversation with my father-in-law in February of 2020. Great man of God. Lots of wisdom. Uh, I remember because I was sitting at an airport in like this, you know, terminal area uh, and I just started unpacking it for him. So I just put that like in the hopper for prayer. Well, within like a month and a half of that, you know, COVID breaks out and it, all bets are off. Yeah. Nobody's so, going anywhere. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, I can't, I can't do anything now. I'm not going anywhere. Uh, every time I'd go to Stacy and I would talk to her about it, she'd be like, go spend more time with Jesus. Like you need it. <laughs> You need to pray more. Like yeah. it, it expressed itself as like a form of discontentment. So I just kept processing, praying. Uh, December of 2019, I went to Craig Groeschel's for like this small gathering of senior pastors. Uh, on the on the way home, I wrote myself a letter as a 65 year old version of myself, mm-hmm. and it it was like a a very moving experience for me. I thought I had like kicked this internal, whatever it was. Um, and then fast forward, February of 2022, I went, I spoke at a mentor's church in, in Florida. Uh, and he, at the end, he kind of like, you know, kissed me, why don't you move to Florida, you know? And um, I didn't feel called to move to Florida, but it brought back up that like something's here that I just cannot shake. So I remember being on a date with Stacy right after we got back from Florida. And I just said, babe, I can't, I can't shake this. Like there's something here. So I prayed, uh, I prayed for three prayers. I, I prayed number one, like, God, I know you called us to the Bay area. So if you have something different, I'm, I'm just, I'm not going to go look like, I'm not going to search on Vanderblumen or slingshot. Yeah, or, like yeah. I'm, I'm going to trust, like you're going to bring it to us. Number two, in addition to that, you'd have to put it in Stacy's heart. And then number three, like we would never want to abandon. We love Echo Church. We love those people. Like last thing we would want to do is leave the work, thriving work in the Bay Area. So I prayed those three prayers. Within like a week of that prayer, uh, David Sean from Saddleback called me and said, hey, would you like to speak at Saddleback? 
Um, in the back of my mind, I'm like, is this the answer to the prayer? And then I quickly um, dismissed it. Like, there's no mm-hmm. way Saddleback would ever, they would ever want to hire me. Like, I'm nobody. Nobody knows who I am. I'm sure Rick doesn't know who I am. Um, of course, I did have him do a purpose-driven video for me early in our church, and he introduced himself as my good friend, and my Andy Wood, my good, good friend. friend. <laughs> yeah. So it was a, very much in Rick's person. Yeah, it was a prophetic right. good. It was a it was a <laughs> prophetic good friendship. So, um, so we came here that week. I'm doing. I'm like do read through the Bible in a year. That's kind of my like typical. So that week when we're here, Stacey and I both came. I wanted her to come just so we could meet Rick Warren. And I'd met him like once or twice before, but I'm like, okay, we might get a chance to meet Rick. So um, that week I'm reading uh, the story when Samuel goes and uh, anoints King David as the next Mm -hmm. king. Mm -hmm. And I was like watching all these different people that are like coming into Saddleback. I'm like, oh, he'd be great. He'd be great. He'd be great. Yeah, because there's a there was a few that were coming through yeah. at that time, right? Yeah. yeah. So uh, that like that week, actually in the hotel room, I think it was Friday morning or Saturday, whatever it was that we we're here. Um, I just wrote in my journal. I felt like God, the Holy Spirit, spoke to me and was like, whatever is in you that like is that what I see that's in you, they'll see when you're here. That was all I got. Mm. And it was like, okay, pay attention. And then uh, that night I spoke. So Pastor Rick, you know, because of health, wouldn't come to all the services, wouldn't necessarily meet with all the speakers. Mm. Um, I think some of it was like, okay, is this person, do I really want to meet with them as a candidate? So it was like an interview that wasn't the interview, if that makes sense, uh, for the people that were coming through. So I I spoke. Um, actually, Rick came right before, did something on stage that night. Mm-hmm. But then afterwards, it, like, well, Pastor Rick would like to meet you. So Stacey and I, we go over to the library. He's uh, oh, his yeah, library. the library. I had the tour. Yes. It was incredible. The three-hour tour? The three-hour tour. Yeah. Uh-huh. And so I have, like, this thing with drinking lots of water while I preach. So it was really funny. The whole time, I went... I went to the bathroom three times while Rick's like doing this tour and Stacy is really embarrassed. And like, all I could think of was that Forrest Gump scene when he was with the president. And I was like, anything you'd like to say to the president? Yeah, I got to go pay. <laughs> do you remember that? <laughs> I do actually, yeah. So, um, yeah. so it was like, ended up being this long, like, you know, three, three hours with Pastor Rick. And then at like 11 o'clock, Kay calls and she's like, you need to let these guys go. They're, he's going to preach tomorrow. Uh, but there were a few things in there that were like, okay, God is God is clearly doing something here. Like it's not just it's not just speaking at an, another church. One thing that, and I don't I don't know, like I wouldn't do this all the time, but in this particular instance, I felt prompted in prep. I felt prompted just to ask God for a specific message for Saddleback. So I that. You know, week or two weeks before, I just said, God, what do you want to say to this church? Yeah, because you got a decade you can pull from. Yeah. Get the best one, bring it here. What so for do? so for Rick, uh, for Pastor Rick, w- for whatever reason, like that really, like when I, the first question, one of the first questions he asked me at the library, he goes, was that a fresh message that you prepared? And I said, yeah. I said, was it that bad? <laughs> it is. And first he's like, time. Yeah. And he's like, no, I could, I could tell that that was not a canned message. Like I could just, I could tell by the way you delivered it. It was like fresh from your heart. 
So for whatever reason, that really, I think it showed Rick like, oh, this guy's a, he's a shepherd. He, he's not just trying to get a gig. And um, so we did that that night. Next day we came back and, you know, again, it was like, well, we don't know if Rick's going to want to meet. But then at the end of the second service, we had like this hour and a half period that was like, we got to get to the airport. So we go to the Purpose Driven building, like Rick wants to have want, wants to meet you over there. So we sit down, he lays out finishing the task vision and he's like going on, you know, by 2033, we're going to reach every nation. And then he goes, and by the way, I'm transitioning from my role and we're praying about who that's going to be. Would you, would you just pray for us that God would lead us to the right person? And then he prays over us. And at the end of it, he's like, well, I don't know what God's going to do through you, but it's going to be something big. Get ready. And then that was like, that was it. So we almost missed our flight on the way back. We got to the airport. Uh, Stace calls her mom and she's like, I'm about to throw up. Like, I, I, I know that this God's doing something. And so that led to kind of a, you know, month and a half journey with them just processing and praying, discerning if it was God's will. I want to continue that, but before we move on, I want to go back to 2019 because, I mean, you know the Barna stats as well as anybody, 42% of pastors have seriously, that was a high watermark, seriously thought about leaving full-time ministry. A lot of people questioned everything, but this is pre-COVID. It wasn't like you had a whole lot of problems that you were trying to escape from. What was going on after? And so let me just do the math. 27, four, uh, you would have been at Echo for 10 years? 12 years. Yeah, 12 well, years. 2019 was our 10-year anniversary. So I didn't really have any of that before our 10-year anniversary. But after? It was more after our 10-year anniversary. So you're moving into year 11. Mm-hmm. What are you feeling? Confused, I think, is probably the, the primary word yeah. that I would use to describe it. Because it was, it was out of nowhere. It was like... I had, I mean, there's so many wonderful things. You've been to the Bay Area. So many yeah, wonderful to things church. to love about the Bay Area. Mm-hmm. Um, and we just didn't have anything else in mind, our, our whole ministry. Like, we're here. Uh, so I would say confusion was probably the primary word. So confusion. But was it like a drop in passion? Was it a lack of clarity and vision? Was it, I'm just wondering, because I've I've felt similar things. Yeah which has also led to me not leading a church anymore full-time, mm-hmm. doing this full-time. Um, so I'm just curious what you're, if, yeah. you, can, if you can label them, because sometimes you don't know. Well, I think it's, I don't know if I've had this question asked this way. Yeah. Um, let me just throw some stuff out. So I, I would not necessarily be like overly concerned about a, a lack of passion because yeah. In anything you do for a really long period of time, passion ebbs and flows, right? Marriage, parenting, life, yeah. leadership. Yeah, yeah, it goes up and it goes down. Yeah. yeah. So I, to me, that wasn't as concerning. Um, vision, I, I would say vision was still, there was a, there's enough vision to reach the Bay Area. Like, man, if you can't get excited about 95% of people that don't know Jesus, like doing something <laughs> with that, like, and going after it, then probably you know, ministry is not a good uh, calling. So I, I don't, I still had vision. I still had strategy. Like I could sit with the team and work strategy. It, the thing that troubled me was I just could not visualize myself living in the Bay area the rest of my life. So it was more living in the Bay area rather than. Yeah. And I was like, 
I was trying to construct yeah, in my mind, like what I'm like, well, maybe I'm supposed to move somewhere else. Um, I had other places where I'm like, well, maybe I'll go start a campus there, empower the team back here, pipe in video. Uh, but Stacy and I were not on the same page with it. So like we're going back and forth, not really seeing the situation the same way. And I think that I wouldn't press forward on such a big move without us being in full alignment. Yeah. So you really wouldn't, weren't sure what it was. Yeah. What did the discernment process? So let's pick up in early 2022 after your weekend here at Saddleback. Um, Stacy felt like throwing up. Oh my gosh, I think something big is happening. What did the discernment process look like for you and then for Saddleback and yeah. for Rick and Kay? The, um, the image that I've used to describe it is like a Polaroid. So it, it became increasingly clear the further oh, we went. Okay. So yeah. there, it's like, okay, some, there's an image here. There's something here. Let's keep waving this thing and see as it gets clearer and clearer what it is. Um, I, when it comes to discerning God's will, you know, I tend to go through, okay, where is God speaking through his word? I mean, I'm doing this the whole time. Where What scriptures are coming to mind? Uh, what are the godly people in my life saying? Like mentors, uh, people who have invested in me, two, two primary mentors, uh, Steve Stroop from uh, Lake Point Church in Dallas, Larry Osborne. Yeah. Both of them, I'm on the phone. Uh, Sean Morgan, who's done a ton of— a Good mutual friend. Yes. Yeah. And he's done with you the succession— uh, curriculum. So he's done that a ton. Mm -hmm. So I'm on the phone with the three of those guys processing. In addition, my dad, yeah, Stacy's dad. So there was a lot of familial conversations because uh -huh. I trust both, both uh, them are very godly. I trust mm -hmm. their counsel. It just so happened that uh, my dad was in town for a week in the middle of all that. So I have these really precious memories of these like long walks with my dad of just like processing, praying through all of it. Um, so I'm like praying through, getting counsel, reading scripture. Um, I had some um, prophetic kind of things that like people mm -hmm. spoke to us in the midst of that journey. Um, I had one friend who sends me text messages and sent me this like eerie text message, doesn't know anything about what's going, what's on. going on. And yeah. it's just like, you know, don't write yourself off because you're too young and experienced. Da, 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 da. You're the man for the job. And it, like <laughs> out of the blue. Yeah. Out of the blue. And so I just responded. I'm like, do you, did God give you a word? And he's like, no, I just felt like I need to encourage you with that passage. So there was that, um, the, the other passage God really used was, uh, Mary getting shoulder tapped, um, for the birth of Jesus. God used that with Stacy to really speak to her heart. Um, so the Carrie, the primary question for me was what does God want me to do? Like I'll I'll tough it out. Yeah. It, without emotion, I want to be obedient. Like that's the primary motivator for me. I'd I'd I I'd rather be with 10 people in a garage reading the Bible or in the wilderness by my if if I'm obedient to God, then like that that's the primary thing. So the whole way through, I'm just like, okay, God, what do you want? me to do? What are you saying to us? And then Saddleback's doing the same thing on their end, right? Processing and praying through. So we, Doug Slayball, who started 
kind of navigating the process with Rick. Um, Saddleback had been in this journey of like rotating pastors, trying to process, not making a ton of ground. I think that there was, you know, a little bit of discouragement, like, okay, we're not making progress. Saddleback is not necessarily like going to go hire Slingshot or, Mm -hmm. I mean, Vanderblumen helped do the research on me post. And that's another thing that is good for people to know. Like Vanderblumen didn't find us. Vanderblumen vetted afterwards, like, so if there's any comments people want to, you know, discern yeah. online, like they were super helpful to to do all the reference checks. Yeah, William's but, great. Yeah, he's amazing. And uh, so much wisdom there. They help, helped a ton on the back end. But Saddleback's like the kind of church, they're going to they're gonna start trying to figure out. They're going to do their own thing. Yeah. So Slayball, who was on staff, he was like an OG here, um, now does a ton of like strat up, uh, coaching, and they hired him to navigate the process. So Doug and I just like started kind of talking through what, what God might be up to. And then he throws me these like assignments. So he's like, okay, um, we've decided like, these are the most important character traits of what we're looking for. Can you turn around, um, we want, what, what's your vision? What would your vision be? What would you do in the first 90 days? What would you do in the first 100 days? And so God, I mean, I felt inspired in all this. I like sat down, boom, boom, you know, within like three days since like a 13 page paperback. And they're like, well, how did you come up with all that so quickly? What, like, did you just make that up? I'm like, no, I, I, I felt like the Holy Spirit gave me yeah. that. And then, um, I said to Doug, I was like, well, let me send you something I wrote when I was 22. So I I found my old prospectus that has a lot of the same components to the vision of Saddleback. And I said, this is what I wrote when I was 22. So, you know, like, this is not me trying to get a job. This is what was in me before any conversation with Saddleback. Mm-hmm. So um, they're just processing, what do they want? Am I wired to do that? And then we started taking a couple of trips down here to meet with elders and discern in, in the process as well. So, yeah, that sounds like a fairly, it's not just sitting across the table from each other a few times and going, I think this is the person. How many times did you communicate here before you accepted the call? Just the once? Just the once, yeah. Wow, so just the it, once. I think if I had done it more, Tip the it would, yeah, it would have been like, oh, what's he doing? Why is he there twice? So, you know, I I don't want to say give any details, but I got approached to take over a large mega church in the U.S. a number of years ago and, you know, seriously weighed it. I wasn't at Connexus anymore leading that. And Tony and I don't believe we were called and the people who are there now are doing a great job. All I could think about in the months I was considering it was all the obstacles that had to be tackled. <laughs> like, and I was like, oh, this is our, you think it's a big task. And then you look at the job and it's like, it's a super big task. So we were, we, we don't think we were the right people and we, we didn't put our name in the ring. But I mean, there must've been parts of this that would be super intimidating. I mean, starting with following in the footsteps of Rick and Kay Warren, that's super intimidating. What other parts of the job intimidated you? Uh, the complexity of it. So there's... Because how big was Echo when you left? So pre-COVID, right? Pre-COVID, yeah, pre-COVID, pre-COVID. We're, At our peak. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, so we were over 3,000 pre-COVID, yeah. um, right around 2,000 when I left yeah. after after COVID. Which is significant, but you're 10Xing that to come here? Yes. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Roughly, almost exactly 10X? Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. So the complexity, I think that that's, it, it's intimidating. Uh, you know, and how many staff to how many staff? Uh, had, like 45 to 450. So it's yeah, almost, so almost literally uh, almost 10X. 10X. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the um, when when you start a church from scratch, you as you go along, you develop intuition around situation, circumstance. Right. You know who's there. You know strengths, weaknesses. So your your ability to intuitively make decisions, if you're an intuitive leader, I mean it's off the charts. If you're a founding pastor, yeah. So you just know, yeah. So here, there's a situational wisdom that I don't have. Like one of the Proverbs I've thought about a lot is there's a proverb that says, there's a way before each person that seems right, but in the end, it leads to death. That's one of my favorite Proverbs. Yeah. And there have been a number of times I'm like, okay, well, is this that moment for me? Like, it seems right, this situation, this decision. So I just have had to come in and recognize like I don't I don't know what I don't know I don't know the people here so I'm gonna have to learn and understand who's who understand intent capacity and that's that's intimidating because you're making you're never like especially if you're putting your team together and moving pieces around you're not a hundred percent sure you know so that requires some faith and dependence and yeah what was your plan for the first hundred days? Uh, well, I wanted to get to know people. I wanted to get to know what is it that's like awesome about Saddleback? Like what's the thing, what are the things that make Saddleback amazing? Um, I wanted to, with the weekends, have a good sense of momentum on the weekends, like do a good job with my messages and teaching series, uh, and really just gain perspective was like the, the first goal for me. And then build rapport, love on people, um, try to understand in an organization. I got this from the first 100 days book. There's formal and informal organization. So if you chart how influence flows, there's an informal way that influence flows. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to understand, like, how does influence flow at Saddleback? And just gain perspective on it. What did you discover about the informal channels? Without naming names or that kind of thing, but like... That is a really interesting thought because there's people who hold positional authority. Right. And then there's real authority. Yeah. Right? So what did you learn about informal? Uh, um, I, I just learned that there are certain people that like when they're behind something, pretty much everybody else is going to get behind it. And so uh, it's probably good to bounce things off of those people, understand their perspective. Uh, that's probably one of the, the primary things. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about the transition. So uh, there's a couple ways to look at that. Um, what were? Let's start with stress points. What were the stress points for you, for Rick, and for Saddleback? Yeah, of the I, I might rephrase it to say, what are the stress points? <laughs> what aren't? <laughs> no, what are? What, what are. currently are? I mean, it's because yeah. we're okay, still what right. Are, yeah, because you're how far yeah. into it? Six months. Yeah. Into? So as we're yeah. recording, we I've been uh, I've been in the office about six months. In my role right at five months. Yeah. So um, 
I think one complexity, right? Trying to to navigate that, um, trying to prioritize change. Like what what things do we want to change first? What things do we want to wait on as a stress point? Um, some of the stuff that you might think of as a stress point is not. Okay. Um, like people, the, the I always get the question about Rick's shoes and, you know, uh, following Rick. That just has not been, it's just not been hard for me. Um, part of it is a life cycle thing. Part of it is Rick's health the last few years. It's um, the, the staff and Rick were ready for a new season. And so that that just has not been a challenge. Um, one of the other things is like sometimes I talk to other guys and they're like the the outgoing leader still is trying to like put their hands on the steering wheel. Yeah, that was one of my questions because it's hard not to. I mean, he, yeah. he led this for 40 years. Yeah. And say more about that. Uh, he's done a great job. He's kept his commitment to... Um, empower and empower is probably not even the right word. Like to let me lead. Release. To, yeah, to release. Um, so I try to engage him. There are certain decisions I feel like I need his feedback on. There's certain decisions I feel like he and Kay both deserve an FYI on. And so we try to keep that dialogue. You know, Do you have a filter for like what you consult Rick on or FYI am on and what you don't? Uh, it's, it's been super helpful for me to have transitioned a church that I founded. So it's, it's very easy for me, not with the 40 year history, but with like the 14 year history to put myself in his shoes and say, okay, what would I, what would I not want to be surprised about? You know, like what, what things would I want to know about? So those are probably the primary ones. Uh, um, well, we changed our mission statement. Oh, that's a biggie. Yeah. Yeah. So, so what was it and what is it? Well, I couldn't tell you what it was. What it was, but it was something yeah. like what Well, it was? it was it was related to the five purposes and the you know the um and I can't remember there's like seven or eight different iterations of let what the letter starts with. Fair yeah. So, um when I Stepped when I interviewed, I was asking the elders, I was like, So, what's the mission of Saddleback? Like, what is our mission? And it, it's so clear the, the five purposes have really held together mission very clearly. But from a succinct communication standpoint, I couldn't get the mission out of the staff. So, really, what I what we did was we didn't actually do a massive change, we tweaked it to give language that makes it more potable and you know. Or portables. Yeah. So it is, um, we exist to urgently lead people to say yes to Jesus and um, his purposes for their lives. Oh, that's great. Yeah. So it's basically the same as it was, but we condense purposes to his, you know, one Mm. word. Does that make sense? Gotcha. So, and then, you know, the the phrase, the yes phrase has been really big in K's. A book. She wrote a book on surrender and yes. So it's kind of it's true to language at Saddleback. It's just a more memorable, a fresh framing, yeah. memorable framing. So that's an example of something that I shared with him. Great, great. And Rick's been very hands off. Yeah, he's been he's been great. Um, I mean, we talk, we text. Uh, so 
the, the other frame for me, Carrie, that's been super helpful is like, how many young leaders would want to be mentored by Rick Warren? No kidding. So I just think of it like, oh, I get, I get to be mentored by Rick Warren and um, he's going to know and see things. We have a, um, there's a uniqueness. We are the only two people on the face of the planet that have ever pastored Saddleback. That's so, true. So there's a, there's a, like a tribal component to that. That is great. Uh, but he's, he's been awesome. Yeah. What are you doing? And I know it's early days, but what are you doing to keep the relationship healthy between you and Rick? That's something Jeff Brody, I know, you know, Jeff. Yeah. Jeff and I have worked on for over seven years now, and I would say it's gone really, really well. I, he still wants me to do a little bit of coaching, and that's at his invitation. And it's been a really good journey. Mm-hmm. Um, and, it, you know, it's had a couple of flashpoints, but I think on this side of heaven, I'm not sure it gets a whole lot better. So what what have you done well so far? Uh, I'd be interested to hear other people comment on what I've done well, um, what I've done intentionally. Mm-hmm. is um, I never want to speak negatively about Rick in public or private, uh, he or Kay. I think that that's one. That was one of our fundamentals too. Yeah. And it's mutual. Yeah, right? yeah it goes both Rick, directions. Rick will never say anything negative against you and Stacy, publicly or private. And by privately, he probably means at dinner with some friends yeah. or, yeah, wow, that's huge. Well, I think a lot of, this is important for a lot of younger leaders or whatever you would consider young who are following another leader. It's not only is it biblical honoring to God, it is in your best interest to be honoring to the person that went before you. There's no advantage to tearing down what's been built. And so I, I would say that that's one um, I, if there's ever a concern, I just pick up the phone. Like I just, Rick pretty much most of the time takes my calls. I take his calls. Um, so if there's ever something that I'm like, oh, I'm not really sure in a text thread or whatever, I want to clarify, I'll just pick up a phone, the phone and call him um, and keep things clear, you know, so that there's not any um, concerns there. Communicating change, letting him know when big changes are happening uh, getting his feedback on change, I think, is is good. Um, and then we, from a time standpoint, I don't think Rick nor I are quality time people. Um, like that's oh, not, that's not so my, you, don't, you don't need to spend three hours together and hold hands and sing kumbaya. Yeah, exactly. Okay. All right. So I don't I don't want to take any more of Rick's time than he wants to give, and he doesn't want to take any more of my time. So I just think of like. I have found phone calls to be a really good way to like dialogue. I'll call him a lot if I'm on a walk or, you know, um, and then we've, you know, we'll, we'll meet together. I mean, last week we had lunch for a couple hours, um, but it's more that it's the priority of the relationship for me in a way that serves what would be a good, it's like any relationship, right? It's like with my kids, they have different, uh, desires relationally. Mm-hmm. So I'm just mindful of like, well, if, if it's going to be, if Rick's got other things going on, I don't need to sit down for two hours and just have him counsel me, you know? Yeah. So, so let's talk best practices. What would you say? Cause I think this is, this has been an issue for hundreds of churches. It will become an issue for thousands of churches, large and small, 
the succession crisis. Mm -hmm. What's your take on best practices? What is what have Rick and Kay done well, and what has Saddleback done well in this transition to set you and Stacy up to succeed? Uh, the the first thing that Rick did, first of all, I think decision is really important. Like knowing, am I called to? Is it time to go? Right. So like, if a leader is in that zone of like, am I supposed to go, not go? And then they go, but they're not like, well, I wasn't supposed to go. Sort of going. Yeah. Yeah. So I think for Rick, there was a very definitive, for he and Kate both, it was, even though it's hard, there's grief, there's pain, it's time for them to to make that transition. That's, I would say, important. Second is clarity of what you're looking for in a leader, like the kind of leader even uh, they, Saddleback had the age of the person that they wanted to hire. Really? Yeah. And it was r- like it was early 40s? 40, 40. 40. And I was 40 at the time, which is kind of wild. Uh, so they knew, the, and I, I think it was actually a risk on their part to mm-hmm. hire. Like they could have found somebody in their 50s yep. that was more seasoned, more experienced, kind of a, a last Bridge run. leader. Yeah. We'll give this five, 10 years. Yeah. Do you know what was behind forty? Uh, I think it was the it was the in between. It's it's enough experience. The the other thing is a senior leader. They wanted a senior leader, which I I think if you're taking the helm of something this size, you you have to have been a senior leader before, right? I just so they were looking for a senior like someone who had led a church of some size, forty. Yeah. So they were clear. The the other thing um, was. The desire for somebody who'd been in like kind of a post-Christian context was another. And so not necessarily from, nothing against Bible Belt, but it's just a different. Well, you you were San Jose, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, are you, because I remember being there, a couple miles from Facebook, a couple miles from Apple, a couple miles from Google. Like you're right there, a whole bunch of software engineers and all these tech startups in the Valley. Yeah. And an extremely, I think the other key component is an extremely progressive culture. Right. Because you're you're having to navigate, like if you're in much more conservative culture, it's just a different conversation. Yeah. No, nobody in the Bay Area goes, what church do you belong to when you come into town? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Whereas there are states and cities where that's still really normal. You move into a neighborhood. Oh, what church are you guys a part of? You should come to ours. Yeah. Uh, interesting. Okay. What else did they do well? Best practices. Uh, they have the Saddleback has been so kind to my family, so kind. I heard that from Stacy. I ran into Stacy when yeah. we got here at the offices, and she was just talking about how good-hearted the team has been here. Yeah, it's so kind. Yes. Uh, yeah, it brings me to tears. I'm mm. so grateful. What does that kindness look like? Uh, intentionality with my kids, like even. Uh, backstage staff members just asking questions, um, being super mindful of the season of life that we're in and not ever feeling like anybody here would expect me to choose between the two. Right, because Rick and Kay had been empty nesters for years. Yeah. Which so changes like, things. Even like the green room, like we, I mean, it's, it sounds funny to call it green room, but backstage. Yeah, yeah. Like uh, my image of backstage is I want it to be a blast for my kids. Like I want my kids to want to be there. They, they're going to students. They're yeah, I'm good. looking at the uh, pictures of your family. What are the ages of your 16, kids? 16, 
14 and nine. So it's it's a big season, and they gave up a lot. Like they didn't mm-hmm. they didn't get to choose. They love Echo Church. Mm-hmm. My kid, Karis, my daughter said, "Dad, of like the eight plus billion people on planet Earth, could they not choose one other person?" Oh, because she's given up her friend set, her school, yeah, her whole life. Wow. Yeah, but within that, the staff and team have been phenomenal. Uh, the other thing I would add, Carrie, is the definitive nature of how Rick passed the baton all the way down to like handing me a baton so that there was no question. Because of his personality um, and charisma, I don't think Rick could have done a, like a slow, like, oh, you're 50-50 now, 75-25. It had to be like a definitive transition. I think, I don't think you sent me the video. You couldn't have. You were too busy that day. But I think it might have been Sean Morgan or somebody. But there was a moment, I'll get emotional thinking about it, because I know what's at stake as a founder, where Rick put his arms around you and said in front of all of Saddleback, this is my pastor. Yeah. Do you know how hard it is to say those words as a founder? Mm -hmm. Do you remember that moment? Do you want to talk about that? Yeah. Like, when Rick did that or on the yeah, other side? Yeah, well, yeah. both, both. Yeah. I, it, it it made me choke up when Rick called me his pastor. I know. But like, so he had done that privately. Like we, we were on a Zoom and he choked up. He's like, this is the first time I've had a pastor <laughs> since I've been 25 years old. And then uh, I'm like, oh my gosh. I'm Rick Warren's pastor. <laughs> I know, I know. So I, yeah. I that, wish people could see your eyes. I mean, you're tearing up right now. Yeah, I'm just the, the weight it. of that. And mm-hmm. even the, the the privilege, like, oh my, how grateful I feel. Like I get to be a shepherd to this hero of the faith. So um, yeah, that was, that was a pretty cool moment. Uh, at Echo, you know, you, you, one of the questions of like, Okay, what will we do differently there? That was a really, we were all like in massive grief. Um, and I'm sure you, you've gone through this in a transition. Like the people we work with, we, we love. Like we're good friends with our team. So when God started leading us this direction and then we had those conversations, the worst conversation the, the most grief I've ever felt in the conversation. One was when we told our kids. Mm-hmm. And then second was the couple that started the church with us. So we, I remember sitting in a living room in South Carolina at Stacy's parents' house, casting the vision to plant a church. And then we sat down at breakfast with Felipe and Mandy, you know, 14 years later. It was the word. And Felipe's- So it was Felipe who went up with it, you. yeah. And he's a processor. Like I'm, I'm much more extrovert, external processor. He, so we shared that food comes, we sat in silence for like 20 minutes. And then at the end of it, he's like, can I go home now? And so he gets up, they leave. We basically. So you're telling him you're going. Yeah. I'm like, it's like 90% at this point. And so that conversation was, it was very painful. So the 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 board at Echo wasn't sure yet what they wanted to do. So I had to 
pass the baton, I didn't want to not honor their wishes in terms of like, there was going to be an interim period where he would interim lead. They wanted to see him in the context. They eventually decided on him. Yeah, Felipe is a new lead. Yeah. yeah. And he's doing a great job, doing a fantastic job. Uh, so that, what, what I regret in that was, Felipe and I have been best friends for a long time. Yeah. He is, I mean, he was the best executive pastor I'd ever been around. Um, great leader, great communicator, super loyal, very comfortable in second chair, good with systems, great at developing people. Like he's got a big tool belt. Mm -hmm. And so th the thought of him being the next leader, it, it never occurred to me. And when he came to me and said, I think God's calling me to do this. Wow. I was like, I mean, I was in tears. I'm like, I'm so sorry. Mm. I'm sorry. I didn't see it. So at that that moment was tough for me and him. So how do you handle grief? Cause there's congregational grief at echo church. Yeah. There's your grief. Cause it's not like you're like, Oh, Rick just made his big announcement. I'm throwing in my profile tomorrow. Right. There's your grief. How do you there's others, gr others grief too. Others like our grief. kids. Um, well, I don't think that the grief of echo set in at first for me until I went back to preach the first time. So I went back in December to preach. And I, Stacy and I were, we're staying at a hotel and that Saturday night before it, so they don't have Saturday night services. So we went over, Felipe and Mandy's house, our kids are all there. Our kids are like, you know, age, they're like best friends. And then uh, on Saturday night, we, our house was a mile from theirs. And we like go to load up in our rental car to go back to the hotel. And I'm like, Sorry, I'm getting emotional about this. That's uh, good, man. Uh, it, is. it hit me. I'm like, oh, we don't, we're not here anymore. This here. is not our home. So I would say I didn't really go into it until that point. And then I was like, I, I have some stuff here. I really need to process with God. Like there's a sadness. I would say being back there too. So I've been, I went in December. I went back for Felipe's commissioning. Um, being in the environment has been good for me. Because it's like, okay, I still love these people. They're still family. I think there was a healing nature to that. But then just recognizing the grief as a part of the, the process and giving myself the freedom, Rick and Kay the freedom, Felipe and Mandy the freedom to be able to be like, okay, there's grief here. And it's a part of the journey. Any advice, like when you were rolling out the announcement that you're leaving, you tell Felipe and Mandy, Mandy, and then, like, I remember Jeff and I did it in concentric circles. Mm -hmm. So there was processing with our elders mm -hmm. and with Jeff and then with leadership team and then with the staff, then with some key um, donors, volunteers, you know, key lay people, and then kind of rolling it out. In the, I think I learned that from Rick, actually. I think that's yeah. a purpose-driven church or whatever. Concentric yeah, circles. Inside out on inside the change, out. outside in on reaching the community. Exactly. So thank you, Rick. <laughs> you know, we appreciate it. But uh, it really works, that method. Uh, what did you learn about how to communicate change? Because, uh, you know, it wasn't like people were gunning for you to go. Mm -hmm. they, they were shocked, mm -hmm. I'm sure. Yeah. How do you help a congregation grieve? So I think one side of it is like met, determining what is the messaging that we want to communicate and making sure we've got like clear, what is it? How are we going to go about 
sharing this with people? Like, what are we going to say? Um, because there are nuances to how you would communicate it that it could go one way or the other. It could feel one way or the other. And then once I had the kind of the messaging from like a thinking, you know, you've got the head and the heart, right? Um, once I, Stacy and I had really worked through the messaging with the team there, team here, uh, then it was like, okay, I'm not going to try to hold back the emotion as we communicate. And just giving ourselves the freedom with people to be honest, like about how hard it was processing. We we just felt like that would be healthier for the church, mm-hmm. for them to see like, oh, this is hard for them too. Um, and then we did we did com- concentric circles, but it was like, bam, 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 bam. it was like three That's days. Right. Yeah. So I had to meet with the trustees at Echo. We met, we did not, we skipped one concentric circle um, just because we didn't have time. So we went trustees and staff, and then uh, we went to the whole church. But we did it via video at first, and we felt like, based on some of the counsel we had gotten from others who had done it, absorb the shock in video so that way people know, like, okay, this is coming. We're going to talk more about it this weekend at service. Mm-hmm. And that seemed to work well. Anything you do differently in that? I don't know if I would do anything differently on the communication side of it. I mean, I we got a lot of good counsel. And so you're in three days. I think we were two weeks max. Yeah. I just asked a couple of people to sit on it, and they did. But two weeks yeah. start to finish. The thing I wish I could have done differently is I wish I could have given Felipe more of what Rick gave me. And Which is- it was a clear handoff a very strong, clear blessing, you're the person for the role. And I was just functioning within the restraints and my own grief at the same time. My, uh, from a familial standpoint, we had a family member pass away like that week, like a, a pretty tragic death. And so all of that is combining in the grief. So you can look back and be like, oh, well, I might've said mm-hmm. or done it differently but it's not with the same, I, I have a clearer mind now than I did yeah. there. Well, you're you're processing a lot. What about, like, there had to be grief for Rick and Kay. I don't expect you to speak for them, but I imagine they had those questions. And then there's grief for Saddleback, losing a pastor of 40 years who isn't going to, like, he's not leaving the church, but not going to be on stage regularly, not preaching regularly, not their pastor anymore. Um what did you learn about helping a congregation grieve and come to terms with that? Yeah. Uh, I would say like with Rick, with Rick and Kay, um, they had their own journey of grief. Uh, being in the shoes I was in at Echo helped me have more compassion for them. They'd be like, okay, this is, this is a part of the process. It's not me. It's like, it reminded me very similar to when I married Stacy and watching her dad go through grief, or her parents, both of her parents go through grief, but more dad than than mom. Mm-hmm. And I just, w- watching all of that, it was like, well, you know, all these years later, I have a great relationship with her dad. It wasn't like her dad didn't love me or believe, it was just, he had a grief. So I tried to like, in that process with Rick and Kay, be like, oh, well, this is not, anybody that would come to the role, they would be going through the same process. So it gives a little bit more liberty 
emotionally for me, for them, for us, for them. Uh, and then with the church, uh, I felt like there were a couple of strategic things that we could do. One was helping people see what will not change. So I did, I did like a whole message. A part of my first message was what's not going to change. I wanted to link together the past and the present. Mm-hmm. Um, and then honoring Pastor Rick, I think does help with the grief. It's like with kids, you know, to see dad and granddad have a good relationship helps. Um, and then just knowing it's going to take time. Mm-hmm. How have you, because you inherit 400 staff you didn't hire, mm-hmm. a congregation of tens, if not low six figures of people you've never led. Mm-hmm. They had another pastor. What are you learning about winning the hearts and minds of staff you didn't hire, a congregation you didn't form? Yeah, it's a really good question. Uh, the one part is separating those two. Mm-hmm. So like, the way that you would win the hearts of a staff yeah. would be different than the way that you'd win okay, the hearts. Okay, well, let's break it down. Yeah. Sure. Uh, so with the church as a whole, mm-hmm. uh, being present, I think, is one of the most important parts, like standing on the patio, walking around campus. I mean, Don't hide in the green room. Yeah. We're, we're out there. We're getting hugs. We're praying over people. Um, we, before we started in our role officially, we knew that it would be really hard after we started to get to all the campuses. So we hustled over like a four week period of time, got to every stateside campus, um, aside from one that had to, didn't get to them, but that I think helped being in environments with people, uh, being present, uh, trying to teach in a way that's heart, relatable, honest, authentic um, is is another one. And just trying to honor what's here. I think it's probably, yeah. with the staff, uh, I felt like I needed to do some things to under-promise, over-deliver. So I tried to take on some things real quickly that I felt like were subjects that the staff that were hanging over the staff's heads. And uh, I think that that helped. We started doing staff meetings a little differently where there's worship, Stacy and I are present. Uh, I think that that's gone a long way. Um, I've done walkthroughs, like walking through the building, trying to connect with people there. Uh, Perspective meetings where I'm meeting with different departments, learning from them. So it's like an intense relational season. Wow. How, um, what are the big differences so far between leading a church of 3,000 versus 30,000, you know, staff of 40 versus 400 plus? Mm-hmm. I mean, it is a 10X. It's a really interesting case study. Yeah. I imagine there's some similarities, but there's got to be some differences. Yeah. Well, let me start with the similarity because I think that that does help. Yeah. The, the skill set to lead around 3,000. So Steve Stroop, when he mm-hmm. transitioned from Lake Point Church, he he said, I want to find somebody who's pastored a church of, of 3,000 or more. And he had this assumption based on his journey of leading Lake Point that from 3,000 to, to what they were at this time, like 13, 14, that it's not that, it's not like 3,000 to 1,000. 
thousand to three thousand is a totally different ball game right. than three thousand to thirteen, fifteen thousand, sixteen thousand. So the skill set of teaching and preaching, you know, content development, that that rhythm is is one. Leading in a multi-site environment with lots of different campuses and having to think not just about one location, but think globally about all the campuses is another. Um, the skill set of developing teams, working through teams, come up with vision, cast vision, all that's so similar. Um, the complexity is the main thing that is different is because it all, all that you do all that, but you have zeros on the end of all yeah, of that. Yeah. So I just have, I've tried to tread with like open hands. I don't know what I don't know. The last thing I want to do is make a stupid decision because of pride. And so I'm just going to stay open and hungry and ask lots of questions and just go into every decision knowing I could be wrong. And to me, I think that's helped me in the complexity navigate it. Mm. Mm. Let's talk about pace of change. So you mentioned a few things are changing, starting with the mission statement or vision statement. Um, You know, you've changed some other things you've hinted at. Uh, some people would say change nothing in the first year. Some leaders are ready to go and change everything. How are you figuring out how to pace change? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I want to take that question pr- uh, principally first and then go practically. Cause yeah. I think, I think what you're saying is important. Um, there's, there's a few questions to ask. I think if you're in that zone, one is who, who was the leader before you? So what were they like? So what, how did they do change? Mm-hmm. Is one, who are you? So how, how has God wired you? And then the congregation, like, how do they do with change? You know, like if I were. That's really astute. Yeah. Going to a traditional church that hadn't changed much in the last 15 years, I, I probably wouldn't change a whole lot. But I sat in a room. I remember actually calling Pastor Rick right after this call or this conversation. So I was in a room, great guys, wonderful wisdom. But they're like, one guy was like, yeah, don't change anything in the first year. And I walked out and I called Rick. I was like, Hey, what do you, what do you think of this? And Rick's like, Oh, that won't fly at Saddleback. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm a church planter at heart. Like I, I just, you know, from Stacy and I started two churches. I change. I love change, especially if I'm the one changing things. Correct. Mm -hmm. So uh, but Saddleback is is a church that's changed a lot of things throughout the years. Rick will pivot on a dime or did pivot on a dime. Um, so I felt like that from a propensity to change, there's a lot of propen- there's a lot of pent up demand mm-hmm. for change. Mm-hmm. And so if I were to step in and be like, oh, I'm gonna wait a year, I would lose a lot of the younger leaders. I'd, I'd lose a lot of great leaders. Yeah. Uh, that maybe aren't necessarily young. It's all relative. Right, but right, right. So I felt like the the boundary I put on myself was, okay, I'm going to give myself to the end of the year. So I started September, uh-huh. um, primarily like with team, who's going to be in the room with me. I, within like 45 days, kind of had a sense of what I should do. But I had set myself a like patient, be patient to the end of the year. And then January 1st, I'm like, okay, I'm, I've worked through with the elders, with the wise OGs, like gotten their counsel. 
And then January 1st, I just started making more, uh, not like I haven't removed anybody. I haven't, you know, asked anybody to step off the team. I just had to take Rick's structure was 14 direct reports. And when I shared that That's with high us, capacity, yeah, I'm like, well, Rick, if, if Rick is three times the leader I am, I need to make that about a third the size. <laughs> That's, that was the language I used. Fair. So um, I, I think that Saddleback is a church that is fast and that gives me a lot more freedom. But what it does not do is give me the freedom to skip or ignore change dynamics. So when you're a founding pastor, I think as a founding pastor, when you have a track record of like good, solid changes, you can you can fudge on some of the change dynamics. Like not all the time, but some of the time you can be- We're just going to do this. Yeah, you can be sloppy. And But I don't think here I could skip change dynamics and not pay for it. So I could go faster, like I could move I could move the process shorter, but I couldn't skip change mm. dynamics. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, that does make sense. No, that's really helpful. So another aspect, okay, what are what are the change dynamics? Like what are a couple that you're really paying attention to? Because change either doesn't happen because people get afraid or they're not motivated. They go too fast, the whole thing blows up in their face and it becomes counterproductive. So when it comes to change dynamics, what are a couple of dynamics that you think are critical and you should not ignore, even if you truncate it a little bit? Yeah. So first of all, I think finding out what's good, like what what is good here? Like what's working? And then what have we done that's good that we're not doing now? So if I'm like, you know, for example, I was, we hadn't done a big day in forever. Like, mm. I mean, we'd had done, we had, had some big days when I say big day, like a, a, a big event, a, you right. know, evangelistic well, weekend. The church was shut down for two years. That's you know, true. Almost. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. when I kind of, I put together a cross departmental team within my first week of being in the office, I'm like, okay, we're going to, we're going to plan the preaching calendar for the next six months, get some momentum. Um, and then I just started saying, okay, when's the last time we did a one day at all the campuses? It was probably like an Easter or 40th anniversary right before COVID. And I said, well, you know, it's interesting. One of my mentors who, you know, wrote a great book uh, that you may have heard of it before, you know, and I heard from him one time at a conference that was it was hosted not too far from here about this idea of a big day, you know, trying to make it like, I'm just running the play that you, we already, right. we already know how to run this play and bring us back to what, so if, if a leader can find what's good and not feel the need to bash the past in order to move into the future, and then I know this is more comprehensive than you're probably asking me. No, it's good. So I try to make the assumption with change that if there are things that we're not doing that we should be doing, the, the reason we're not doing them is not because people don't want to do them. Like they, they probably want to do these things. They just, you know, for whatever reason, we're not doing them, haven't been led, what, it's too complex to do it. So all that to say, I think that that spirit, that that uh, even uh, essence of like believing the best, coming at it with humility, softens the ground. It makes people more open. But then the informal, I'm paying attention to who's the informal structure, like who are the people that I need to win over in private before we go public. Mm -hmm. And then 
I'm working concentric circles outward with change and then genuinely listening when somebody says, oh, I don't think we're ready for that or, oh, I think we need to make that modification to allow that input to really shift what I would do. How have you figured out who the influencers are, the people that you should probably check with or consult with? Wake, like paying attention to the wake behind them, like both positive and negative. It's mm, a good tip. Who, who have they developed is a good question. Like, who is this person over the last three to five years? Who have they developed? And then some people have a lot of bodies that trail behind them, for lack of better words. And they're like, okay, well, that's that's not clearly not an, an influencer. Yeah. So we talked about big shoes, but one of the realities, and having had the tour of the library and his office and all the things that Rick and Kay have done. I mean, literally did so much for AIDS in Africa, the peace plan, meeting at the White House. You know, there's a dining room here where if heads of states come in, they would meet in that dining room. I mean, it's just crazy to see. And that's sort of a one person, two people tour de force Mm -hmm. where they're changing the world. And if you've spent a few minutes with Rick, you just get that. This guy operates at a different velocity, different frequency, high capacity leaders, like he, he's in a category, he's a sui generis just yes. by himself. Obviously you come in with a different skill set. Mm-hmm. How are you handling, do you feel the pressure to like, well, I got to do all this stuff outside the church or are you approaching it from, I am the pastor of Saddleback Church and its campuses and we're reaching people here in California and beyond? Yeah, it's a great question. So one comment about Rick uh, and Kay both, I, I couldn't agree more in terms of like, quality of men and women that they are, quality of mm-hmm. leadership. Um, one thing I said to Rick last week, I'm, I am genuinely convinced Rick Warren is one of the greatest visionaries in the last hundred years of Christendom. Yeah. Like without a doubt, what he saw, his ability to bring it to fruition with the Holy Spirit's help. So undoubtedly, like he is, he's a force wherever he goes. Uh I have genuinely said, okay, how has God wired me? Like, what am I good mm-hmm. at? Mm-hmm. Rick and Kay both have been great at that. Like one of the um, examples Rick gave me was John Wesley and Asbury. Like Asbury in a lot of ways scaled Methodist. Mm. And so that uh, the other example he threw out was King David and Solomon. Now we know it didn't end well for Solomon, but like in terms of, David. yeah, David and then Sol- so multi-generational knowing that like a lot of times first to second generation, there's a lot of fruitfulness that a first generation, even Steve Jobs to Tim Cook is another great example of that. So Cook doesn't have to be Steve Jobs, right? He does not, he does not need to be the greatest visionary of the last hundred years of technology. So I just have said, okay, how has God wired me? I do think I am a visionary, but I'm not, I'm not the guy that's going to come up with the peace plan or finishing the task or like, that's not my, it's not going to be your thing. Yeah. Well, and you could argue, you know, it's interesting a game because it's been over a decade since Steve jobs died. I think you can make an argument that Apple would not be as big as it was if Steve jobs was alive and still leading it. Yeah. 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 It might be more iconic. It might be more controversial. It might be more innovative, but Tim cook actually made it bigger. Yeah. It was his strat ops, like that kind of COO 
yeah, bent. thing, yeah. that bent, that wiring. Like the iPhone in 2012 versus the iPhone in 2022, not that different. Yeah. You know, Apple in 2002 versus 2012, world of difference. Right. So the innovation curve has slowed down a little bit. The thing, so, the thing that has shifted, like I, which is probably where you're going to some degree, is the percentage of people on planet Earth that have an iPhone exactly. is radically different. Like Cook, I think you could legit argue, made it bigger than Jobs ever would have wanted. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, as you think about that, like what is your task? Yeah. Well, first of all, I, I think that charting the course with future vision was huge. Uh, yeah, I mean, right behind you, you can't see it on camera. What, what have you got there? Six priorities for 2023, big goals for Q1, behaviors almost looks like a value statement. Yeah. Like you're charting the course here for Saddleback, right? Yeah. And a little bit further than that. So like Rick, I had this idea. I think it was a Holy Spirit influence idea. Rick preached his first sermon for his last sermon. So he wrote it in 1980, preached it, and then he re-preached it for his last full sermon. So I had the idea, I'll preach my first, I'll pre- preach my last sermon for my first sermon. So we did a trip to our 70th anniversary, and I preached it as though, like, we're looking oh, back on what happened. 30 years. Yeah. yeah. So we did, like, a time travel both directions. His his was one week. Mine was, like, two, or two weeks after. And uh, I just took a lot of what I had written when Doug Slayball said, write vision, and just said, okay, what what are the dreams? And those dreams are consistent with what God had put in my heart in the Bay Area. Uh, And then just try to put it in language that people could hang on, that they could understand. So that's that's a huge part of it. Mm. But then coming back to say, okay, like the next three to four years, what what does that look like? And one of the things I noticed when I stepped into my role here I'm having to work a lot harder to get the same amount of stuff done. So I said, okay, what do I need to do to have more leverage by three to four years from now so that I don't have to work as hard to get the same results? What what is underneath that? Like having to work a lot harder to get the same amount of stuff done? Uh, Well, I, I wrote out what I thought. So I have this whole, like in my mind, this whole concept of leverage, leadership leverage, that you leaders have levers that once the lever's built, you you pull the lever, you don't have to pull as hard on the lever. So I charted out, like, th- probably the first one would be uh, your team one. Like, who's your team one that you work with? The whole Let's Make You In. Uh, culture would be another one. Uh, meta systems. So not like microsystem, but like meta systems of the organization. Uh, so I had a, you know, a handful of categories like that. And then I said, okay, I'm going to intentionally work my way backwards. Like based on my wiring, what would I want to hand myself three or four years down the road from now? Oh, that's great. And then just work my way backwards. So then I did that for 2023. I said, okay, I could probably get about 10 to 12 big things done in 2023. And I'm just going to take it quarter by quarter. And I'm going to work Q1. I'm going to work on these three or four, Q2 these three or four. And then all of that is a part of like a bigger strategic process that we went through with the staff to kind of get to our core objectives and what we're going to focus on. So that's much more like my, my bent is more that direction and leaning into that, I think is 
is probably the best thing for me to focus on. You asked me the question about beyond the walls of Saddleback. Yeah, what happens to that stuff now? Is that something Rick and Kate continue, like the whole purpose-driven ministry, peace plan, etc.? That's a TBD. <laughs> to be determined. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Fair enough. We can leave it there. Yeah. I, I would say, I mean, there's, there's certainly a desire in his heart and in my heart for the greater influence of Saddleback on other churches. Uh, the thing I would say is like, I got to do a good job. Like, who cares what I would have to say if I'm not doing it here? Well, it's a really good point. And I mean, there's a, a, more than a few people listening to this who have built ministries that are much larger right. than just the local church. And I think it becomes a big question for a lot of successors to wrestle with. And I think TBD is a good answer. Yeah. I think that's a really good answer. What's been easier than you thought it would be? <laughs> Learning to love the people of Saddleback has been uh, a lot easier than I thought it would be. It's just an, it's an amazing church. And the staff, uh, I, I would also add, like, the dynamic of Rick, working with Rick, has been easier than I would have anticipated. Um, yeah, those are— I was only here for one service. I did that interview with Rick in December of 2021. And we, Tony and I, came on the Sunday earlier. And his health wasn't the best. So he was preaching on video, but he wanted to show up and just welcome people and talk for 10 minutes. And we were sitting on the side of the auditorium where he walked out to from stage and— uh, I mean, I'll never forget it. He came out, put his hand on his heart, big wave to everybody, came forward. And I don't know, there were three, four, five thousand 5,000 people in the auditorium that day, plus everybody watching by video. And even at that scale, I felt loved, loved by Rick. Yeah. And I'm like, if I didn't know any better, I would swear this was year one, not year 42 or whatever it was. Like, it was, it was crazy how fresh his passion and how deeply loved you felt. And then he just prayed for everybody. It sounds from what you're saying, like that vibe has permeated the culture here. Mm -hmm, for sure. Right. Both directions. Both yeah. directions. Yeah. Mm. What's been harder than you thought? The nature of Saddleback being this like global church that a lot of other churches have their eyes on. And the, the media side of it, like I did, I just don't, I'm really not interested in that. Echo Church didn't get written up a lot, right? Yeah. And, and, you know, very, I'm sure this was covered. It was probably covered in the LA Times, the New York Times, right? Transition itself. Yeah. That. And then you the know, thing Rick used that, to be with Larry King all the time on CNN and stuff like that. Yeah. Right? And the, like, so I had this fun moment a couple, like a month or so in where Stacy like locked me out of my Twitter account and was like, you can't read Twitter anymore. And it was, it's wild. Like all the things that people knew about me that I didn't even like know about myself, you know, it's like. That they made up. Yeah. Well, or yeah. even like insights into my heart and my oh, motivation. They, and it's like, oh, wow, that's, that's a great mirror. I'd never like seen those. I mean, it's not to make light of it, but it's uh, just, it's like that journey of I, part of what we did in the Bay Area was we just put our head down and did ministry. And I'm. I know that there are people that are wonderful, like building platforms. God calls them to that. I can think of some people that do that phenomenally, but it's just not my wiring. And so stepping into a platform that's so global 
and what that, how to process all that. Having all of your moves analyzed by people. So what are you going to do with that? Like, how, how are you, are you going to stay locked out of Twitter? Are you like, just going to keep your head down and do your job? What do you do about that? Yeah. First of all, I do want to keep my head down and do a good job. Yeah. I, like I, the, one of the questions that has helped me a ton is does it have my name on it? So like opportunities, writing, speaking, you know, all that, does it have my name on it? There will be a place where I will do more media, write books, all that stuff. Uh, it's just not, my kids are 16, 14 and nine. So it's not right in this moment. Yeah. I imagine your amount of inbound, like opportunities, requests, speaking has yeah, probably just, skyrocketed. Yeah, it's gone, it's gone way up. Uh, but I just have set some parameters on like what do like I'm not out of the house more than uh, we have Saturday night service. There's one other night a week I allow myself to be out. Just put some tight boundaries with travel as well. Um, eventually, though, I will empower more people to do that for me that are good. And we're I mean we're working that direction, but it's not my top priority from a timing standpoint. It's further on down in the list. And I think by the time I do that, then, you know, hopefully I'll have dealt with some other things that need my attention first. So this isn't on the question sheet, but how has your message prep or delivery changed since coming to Saddleback? Do you feel more pressure on a Sunday? Or are you like, keep your head down, just do what I know how to do? Like, Yeah. What's funny, I've said this to several people. I actually feel like it's easier to speak here than it was there. Tell me why. Uh, the the room. Have you ever spoken on the? No, stage? not on stage. But it's a cool room. Yeah, it's a, it, there's like these kind of uh, wings that come up, like mm -hmm. Tesla doors. I know. And uh, it's lit, so you can see people's faces. Uh, the stage is, you know, I always stage want, is huge. Yeah, but the it stage almost is feels huge. like in the round a little bit. Not in the round, but you know there doesn't feel like the distance that there should be yeah. in a room that size. Yeah. I don't, I don't know why it's, it's funny. Like one of, so we brought a family with us and um, I asked my buddy, David, who moved with us, is there anything different about me here than at echo? And he said, you seem more relaxed. And I'm like, that's really weird. I try to like figure this out why. SoCal. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Maybe the Bay area, Maybe the Bay area. The, yeah. but the thing that I, I think what happens, you probably can identify this. When you're a founding pastor, everything is personal. So you yeah. feel it. Here, I'm like, well, it's not personal. I've, I'm just, I've just been in my role for yeah, three. You don't even know how this stuff was built. Yeah. You don't, I mean, you weren't there for it, right? You don't remember the foundation going in and what the stage was supposed to look like versus how it actually looked like. And you had thought it was going to be this. And then it, you're right. You don't have any of that history. I am very relaxed when, when I'm a guest somewhere. Yeah, you're, you're not... I'm like, oh, well, that light didn't work. It's no big deal. You know? Yeah. And I think my, my conclusion is that curiosity is one of the greatest antidotes to anxiety. Cause you're like hungry to learn. You're not going to be as anxious, but in terms of speaking, it's easier. My, uh -huh. my rhythm is uh -huh. the same. Um, How many Sundays a year are you doing? I am doing a little bit more initially. So like, I think I'll probably do 37, 38 this first year. Yeah. That's and then I'll kind of, 
I'll pull it back maybe to mid to lower 30s. Building out a team or uh, guest preachers or uh, do you know what you're going to do? Right now, Stacy, my wife, speaks and does a great job. Um, she probably speaks, she'll probably speak like six to eight times. Um, there's a couple OGs here, Buddy Owens, Tom Holiday. Yeah. So I've I've asked both of them to speak. Uh, I don't, I'm in this, like, I don't know what's the right mode. Like Saddleback's used guest speakers in the past. I would be more of like the inclination to develop people. A team. Yeah. 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 And uh, I don't, I'm not sure what's the right call though at this point. Well, and not a decision you have to make. Anything we haven't touched on that you want to talk about or think is important? Yeah. Well, first of all, Carrie, thank you for your work. Thank you for all the leaders that you bless and help. You. Uh, you've been such an encouragement to me over the years. It's a joy to be able to do this. Yeah. Well, and your your podcast, I mean, I there have been a lot of times I I listen to your podcast, I'm ready to quit. And I'm like, there's something I'll get out of your podcast that'll <laughs> keep, keep me going. I want to keep people in the game. Yeah. yeah. So thank you for that. Oh, thank you. Andy. And thanks for letting me be a part of this conversation. I would say there, there's, there's maybe two people I have in mind that I would just encourage. Uh, like we've talked about all the transitions. I would say for people who are, they need to stay and there's something internally I would just say God God is open to dialogue. And so as personal as you mm. can make that between you and God to share what's on your heart, be open and honest with him and just ask him for his leadership and guidance. Uh, people who maybe God is need, like saying, I want you to shift. I would just say, be attentive to your desires and not so much like in a worldly way, follow your heart. But if you're... If you're walking with God and you're delighting in him daily, and then there are these desires that you're like, oh, these are new. This is something different. Just pay attention to that. And with wisdom, allow yourself the freedom to explore because there may be something. Maybe it's not you're supposed to change churches, but maybe there's a different way of thinking or doing ministry. That So be curious about those desires. I think two big things I would, I'd love to leave folks with. Well, I'm super excited you're here. I was delighted when I heard that you were going to be the candidate. And you know what? It feels good. It was a little, it was strange walking into this office and seeing Pastor Andy on the door because I'm like, oh yeah, I'm at Saddleback. And it's, but it, it just seems to completely fit. I'm cheering for you and Stacy. And you're still podcasting, dude. You're part of the Art of Leadership Network, yeah. right? So tell us about the podcast, some other projects and where people can follow you online. Okay, so f funny story about the podcast, The Unfair uh -huh. Advantage. We, we labeled it The Unfair Advantage for church planters, trying to give church planters an unfair advantage. I used to have these little um, protein kind of back when, I can't even remember the name of the company, but it was the, um, give me just a second, you have to mm. edit this, um, Bulletproof Coffee, the coffee. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so they had these unfair advantage things. And Craig spoke at our church, and I had a bunch of them. And I said, Craig, would you like an unfair advantage? And Craig said, I'll take an unfair advantage anytime I can get it. And that line stuck with me from like a leadership standpoint. I'm like, oh, I'm going to leverage that phrase at some point. So that's how we got. So it's church planting podcast. I still have a library of echo leadership podcasts that at some point I'll rebrand. 
Cool. And then uh, we're on social media. I, I'm not as active as some people, but it's just at Pastor Andy Wood there. Well, Andy, thank you so much. Thank you, Carrie. All right. We are uh, deciding to pick up this conversation again, because since I was last in Orange County sitting down with Andy, uh, we thought it'd be a good idea to address the issue of Saddleback. Um, first of all, affirming women in ministry. And secondly, being kicked out of the SBC. So Stacy and Andy are with me. Welcome to both of you. Thanks for having us. Yeah, Carrie, it's great to be back. So what happened? We need, we need to start there. What happened? Yeah. Well, first of all, um, let me say this. Stacy and I, you know, we talked a little bit in our first interview about the church we planted in the Bay Area. Yeah. Uh, that church, Echo, was uh, sponsored by the SBC when we first started okay. back in 2008. Um, Stacy grew up in an SBC church. Uh, we went to an SBC college. We graduated from an SBC seminary. And of course, uh, Saddleback was planted initially and funded by uh, the Southern Baptists. So um, we've had you know great partnerships with the North American Mission Board that's planted churches all over the country. Uh, when we were when we were in the, uh, the Bay Area, so this is actually the second time we have been kicked out of the SBC. Wow! Um, first time for the same issue. Um, so when we were there, uh, it wasn't quite like an official disfellowship. It was just more like a public cutting ties because we had women in ministry. Uh, on this one in particular, we had some dialogue with the executive committee and then, uh, found out through the news that we were actually kicked out of the SBC. Uh, I understand that there's a pretty long-standing relationship between Rick and some of the different people on the SBC committee. But basically the way that it works is um, the denomination has like an executive committee. Uh, they made some decisions based upon our decision as a church to have women as pastors that they would, uh, in essence, disfellowship us. Um, at this point, there's an appeal process uh, that you could go through. Uh, we're still like in that decision-making mode prayerfully, whether or not we would appeal that decision. Um, but at this point, if we don't appeal that decision, then we would be kicked out. Now, it's interesting to me because I, I, to be honest, Carrie, I don't actually find the whole conversation that interesting or intriguing to be on like New York Times or some of these other newspapers. But given the historical nature of one Saddleback Church and then given the historical nature of the SBC, uh, and then in particular, this conversation around women in ministry, hence the reason that it's shown up so much in the, the media over the last few weeks or so here. Yeah. yeah. So Stacey, uh, you weren't the first female pastor at Saddleback. Is, is that correct? Can you tell us some of the history there and then also what your role on the team at Saddleback is these days? Sure. Yeah. So back in May of 2021, actually, the elders and Pastor Rick made a decision together to begin um, the process of endorsing women as pastors and start to call them pastors. And so there were three women in particular who had been on staff here for a long time and been fulfilling basically all the roles as a 
a pastor would, but they were called other things like a minister or a director. And um, they said, you know what, we're going to go ahead and officially ordain these women and begin to call them pastors. So there were three women um, that that happened with in May of 2021. And then from that point, um, not much more movement happened in this conversation. There was a bit of a news blast and um, some unrest among the SBC when that decision was like initially made. Um, But then the next thing we kind of heard about it was at the SBC convention this past summer in 2022, when um, it was kind of brought, this issue was brought to the floor and Pastor Rick went and talked about um, just encouraging the SBC to to keep the main thing the main thing. And um, like, we can still work together. This isn't an issue that should divide um, churches or con- or denominations. Um, and then, and then from there, Andy took over as the lead pastor, but was kind of left to create a pathway forward for all of the women on staff. Many women who have been called ministers for quite some time have been serving in ministry, um, fulfilling the roles of pastor, but not called a pastor. And so Andy um, felt like this was a pretty important issue to talk about early Early, on in our ministry here at Saddleback. And so he provided some clarity. We spent several all staff meetings um, talking through this, this issue and journeying together. He did a big theological teaching, I think an hour and a half long teaching on this. And then in December, we made a decision as a staff with our elders to go ahead and appoint all the women who have currently been serving in ministerial roles here at Saddleback as pastors at Saddleback. So for me coming on staff, um, it was a decision made by Pastor Rick and Kay and also the elders to go ahead and give me the title of teaching pastor. That was the title that I had at Echo. And they just went ahead and continued that title here when they hired us to come on. Mm -hmm. Now that's really helpful nuance. So let me, you know, and, and, and the interesting thing is, you know, you're both talking about uh, can we get along? Does this have to be such a divisive thing? Because we're, you know, we can, it's so easily talk about complementarian or egalitarian as being a divide, but you have a variety of views on staff. Do you not? Like, mm-hmm. it's not like there's just one mindset on this. Can you explain uh, the range of opinion that you have, even within your team or your church or within, you know, friends that seem to get along, even though they don't hundred percent align on a particular label? Yeah, I think that that's a great point, Carrie. And it, it, this is one of those open-handed, it, from my point of view, this is an open-handed theological conversation in the sense of like you could land in a lot of different places and still work together in ministry. Uh, the, you know, f- from a, a nuanced language standpoint, I hate that the we have such language and uh, titles can limit us so much. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of my mentors says that everything rises and falls on definitions. And so how you define this term complementarian, how you define egalitarian, uh, then you've got extremes beyond that, like chauvinism and feminism. Uh, and then when you choose one, people tend on the other side to think you're something that you're not. But what we felt like when you clarify, okay, how did we get to this conclusion? 
Like, how did we come to a conclusion that women can be empowered in ministry? And I think that, that that's the most important question uh, that when you're processing, can we work together? Can we be on staff together? Like for us, in our understanding of scripture, the Bible is the authority in terms of theology, in terms of belief, in terms of how we live our lives. And so when you come to a conclusion from the basis of scripture, uh, that that gives a lot of freedom if you agree on the authority of scripture, but also recognize like my interpretation of scripture is not inerrant. Uh, so there are times where I've seen something in scripture one way, and then later on, God would change my point of view. I do believe that uh, we want to be true to historical doctrine. We we don't want to be, you know, jumping off of, of some uh, train theologically and, and getting, you know, into um, hypocrisy, not hypocrisy, what's the word I'm looking Heresy? for? Heresy. Um, but the basis of the Bible makes a lot of room. So what I said to our staff was, I said, hey, if you, if you don't see 100% eye to eye with us on this, with our elders, with Stacy and I, you can still be a part of our staff and still be a part of our church. There's two main things, though, that you, it's going to be really hard to be happy and be here. One, if you don't see the Bible is the authoritative, inerrant word of God. Like if you don't, if that's not your point of view, then this you're going to be frustrated because that's the the basis for our thinking, and uh, that's you know that's framing our theology. The second one is, can you work with the opposite gender? And like for a man. If there's a man on our staff that couldn't have a woman as his supervisor, um, there might be a point where that happens. And if he's going to be frustrated and not able to do his job because of that gender uh, difference, then this is probably not the staff, the right church for them. So if you can work with the opposite gender, you believe in the authority of scripture, and you come to a conclusion, if you're complementarian or egalitarian, but you come to the conclusion not based on culture, uh, either direction, but based upon scripture, then I think we could work together really well. Yeah, and there definitely is a diversity of views of people who take the scripture seriously on this issue. But I think you also raised one of the issues, uh, Stacy, at least indirectly, that and I talked to a lot of my women friends in ministry and also Katie Cole's been on this podcast a couple of times. I think she's doing outstanding work in this area in the church. Uh, we'll link back to those episodes in the show notes. But um, you know, it has been the practice in churches that uh, don't embrace women in ministry to put women in ministry, but not give them title, not give them salary, but give them all the responsibility. Is that unfair or have you seen that happen as well? <laughs> oh, for sure. I think that, you know, historically, uh, churches tend to put women in children's ministry. There are certain areas of ministry where women are allowed to serve in children's, in women's ministry, maybe in students, if you're a little edgy, maybe in worship, but um, yeah, kind of a limited scope of ministry. And then if you were to serve in other types of ministry, just not to have that title of pastor, but a director or some, maybe some lesser title, but it's so, it's just silly. And I think that that was one of the things that it felt um, incongruent or almost hypocritical to have a woman serving in the same position, a counterpart of a male, but then the male is called pastor and the woman is called minister or director. And the male and makes it, more money. Yeah. So not, just, not because they're doing more. Yeah. Right. Right. 
It felt incongruent. It didn't feel, it didn't feel like it had integrity to it. Mm -hmm. Well, and it's important to know this is something that started before you started at Saddleback. This was something Rick uh, put into place in his time as well. Um, Why do you think women in leadership is such an explosive issue? Why do you think it still engenders this kind of headlines in the New York Times or beyond uh, in 2023? Well, Carrie, I think it's, there are two different extremes and and it's inflammatory on both sides. Um, And so on one extreme, like the very, the Christians who are more um, on the extreme of complementarian, very extreme complementarian. um, Or chauvinism. The, what Mm. I would, and complementarian, just to, just to define quickly, is that yeah. men, and, men and women have distinct roles, but it tends toward men being in authority and women not. Whereas egalitarian is, no, both men and women share equally in uh, the ministry in the church and can hold either position. Yeah, and l- let me add to that. Like the, the concept of chauvinism being like, a, you know, there's a slippery slope. You could make an argument on both sides. There's a slippery slope. Um, an ex- extreme, like complementarian push to the extreme would be like a chauvinistic um, approach. And then egalitarian push to the other extreme would be more of a feminist approach. And I, I feel like there's a, there's a fear that Christians who hold to the belief that women cannot serve as pastors, the underlying fear for many people is that the authority of scripture is no longer being held to. And that just like other issues that are getting watered watered down in modern day culture and that are becoming confusing to the church and areas of theology and doctrine that the church has had a long held um, stance on. And, and now people are diverting from that. And so I think that the fear is that this is one of those issues. And if you start to allow women to be called pastors, then suddenly you don't hold to the authority of scripture and that your, your doctrine is, is slipping away. And, and so I think that that's the fear on one side. And then the other reason on the other extreme that this is an inflammatory issue is because of all that has gone on in culture with women's rights and equality. And, and so there's maybe like a bit of a a feminist charge here. That's like, yes, women should, should have the right to do anything or be anyone they want to be. And so there's that energy that's coming from the opposite extreme that's pouring fuel on this fire. And, um, I really don't think that that is either side is, honoring to God. And I, I definitely don't think that that is the position that Andy and I hold. Yeah. Mm. You know, one of the things I appreciate about that, Stacy, is someone says to do a really good job of listening to the other side, you need to make their argument better than they do. And I think even, again, this is not an exhaustive talk about women in ministry, but I think you did that very well in your 60 second sum up of both sides. I think I think it shows respect for the other sides. H- how can you have this conversation? How would you like to have this conversation more constructively? As you think about how we get along in the future, what are some things that would make this, I'm not going to say an easier conversation to have, but let's just say it's a better conversation to have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love some of um, Adam Grant's questions uh, that he puts 
Uh, one of them is how did you come to the conclusion that you have? Yeah. So trying to understand, like, how did you build your theology? How did you build your conclusion? The other question is, if anything, what would change your thinking on this? Mm. So like having those kind of dialogues with people who see it differently allows you to be able to process that, I think, at a deeper and broader level. So, you know, when I sat down with different friends who are egalitarian, I sat down with friends who are complementarian, like one of the things I began to discover was for people who base this whole conversation on the Bible, somebody who's true to a complementarian belief would put complementarian theology or the belief of men and women complementing each other being a part of God's intentional design pre-fall. Somebody who's egalitarian would put that post-fall. So the, you know, the complementarian nature of a man and woman came after sin in their from their point of view. Now I don't I don't necessarily agree with that point of view, but I can understand that point of view. And so understanding how somebody developed their their theology makes it a more sane helpful conversation. So being able to just be in a room and say, okay, this is an open-handed issue. You see it this way. I see it that way. Uh, allows us just to learn from each other on both sides of the conversation. Mm, that's really good. Stacy. anything you'd want to add to that on how to have a more civil conversation around it? Oh, I mean, I think keeping love at the center of everything, which is our highest command is that we love one another and involved in love is, is respect for one another and kindness and the fruit of the spirit. And so whenever we have any conversation um, to realize that the person on the other side of that table is a human being that God loves and created. And um, what, even like in marriage, whenever there's a, a conflict and maybe a very emotional conflict, um, we have this practice of, of setting the conflict in the center of the table mm -hmm. and just saying, you know, you're not the problem. I'm not the problem. We have a problem that we're trying to work through, but it doesn't need to be directed at each other. And, and the anger and the hatred that, man, that's the furthest thing from the father's heart. And it, it's definitely not unifying for the church. And so to keep love at the center of every conversation, I think is, is definitely what honors God. Mm -hmm. Well, I appreciate it, Andy, when the decision came out and you shot me a text and it's like, Hey, maybe we should update our conversation a little bit. I'm like, yeah, we probably should go there even for a few minutes. So I'm so grateful both of you are joining us for this. But as you think about moving forward, what are some steps you're going to take and what is a path toward perhaps greater unity, greater less division in the church that you hope to, to forge? Yeah, it's a great question. I think one of the commitments that we've made in this whole conversation is to be incredibly kind and gracious in any kind of public response that we would have. Because uh, the last thing we want to do is, is be divisive in what we would put out on social well, I media. I imagine you probably got, sorry to interrupt, but you probably got like some pushback from people inside Saddleback when the decision came out. Did you not? Yeah, I think we've gotten emails all along. Um, you know, Pastor Rick uh, had women preach. I mean, Kay preached many times here at Saddleback. It's funny, though, how when the consistency grows or it's not on Mother's Day, all of a sudden people have more questions. 
but it was super helpful for us to be able to say, you know, Pastor Rick and the elders were the ones that made the decision to have Stacy as the teaching pastor. So it's not like I'm I'm pushing her forward. They made that decision. Yeah, you're not the uh, rogue. Yeah, there, the, but there are people that have questions. We just try to be gracious. And that's why I felt like releasing some kind of content, like a, a clarity of how we got to this position, which I did recently, uh, primarily for our church, would be helpful. Uh, but, you know, when I think about the role that we could play at this point, like Saddleback, that I could play, um, I think it's beautiful in the kingdom, in the family of God, when sons and daughters serve next to each other. Like that's God's design. He put a family business together with sons and daughters. And sons who have the positional authority have the opportunity to lift up daughters that have been given gifts from God. And so I see it as like this wonderful gift. I want my sons to flourish and I want my daughter to flourish. And God's the same way. So the the empowerment of women is not it's not a diminishment of the role of men. Like we need men to be men in the church more than ever. And, you know, as leaders, if I can see the unifying component of it, of like empowering both men and women, doing it in a loving way, non-feisty, uh, and even not feeling like we have to defend ourselves when we do it. You know, it's like, I don't, I don't feel like every time I obey God, I need to give a defense for why I obey God and do what he asked me to do. The main reason I taught on it was to bring clarity to our church. But after that, it's kind of like, we're just going to obey God and do it with love. And not everybody's going to see eye to eye. And that's okay. We can be gracious with people who disagree with us. Stacey, any final thoughts on the way forward? Um. Well, I would say that I am rather reluctantly stepping into this conversation, and I'm quite surprised to find myself here, if I'm honest. Um, the reason that I'm at the center of this conversation is because of the the large scale, the, the way that Saddleback is so well known. And um, we, were, we were doing our thing at Echo and very much functioning in a similar role there, but completely flying under the radar, which is where I thought... I would stay. (laughs) And and so it's just very strange to me because honestly, this has never been my agenda. There's, there's nothing about women empowerment that has been core to like my life message. Um, But suddenly I find myself in this moment in um, church history and culture, like this cultural moment. And so I think I'm sorting through okay, God, this isn't a surprise to you. For some reason, I'm here at this table now. And so how can I, how can I help other women to navigate this? And um, so I just want to, I want to come alongside my sisters that are walking through this and my brothers too, and to help them navigate it with grace and love. And um, I think that there's something to be said for, for women who are in positions of ministry, and maybe maybe you are already leading as a pastor and you feel a lot of freedom. Maybe you feel stifled. Um, but to have a sense of, of humility about you and that it's not, there's nothing becoming 
about vying for a seat at the table or trying to elbow room at the, at the table and, and grasping for control or leadership or whatever. There, there's nothing that is becoming or even God honoring about that. There's a humility that we can maintain with an humility and confidence. They, I think that they can go hand in hand, just a, a humble confidence that we can bring that there's an assurance of knowing who we are, who, how God has gifted us, and that we can, that gives us freedom just to love and serve and help people. And the thing that I keep coming back to for myself is, am I exhibiting the fruit of the Spirit? Because against, the Bible says, against such things, there is no law. And so people can come at me because of this role that I'm playing or because they disagree with us on this issue. But if they're looking at my character, is there anything like there's there's no law against the fruit of the spirit? And so if I can exhibit that and and there, I think it should be said feistiness is not a fruit of the spirit and you can focus on loving and serving your people the people that are probably coming against you are not even the people that you're trying to serve in ministry. And so I have to, to keep that in my mind. Even this past weekend, I taught at Saddleback and it was my first time teaching since all of this stuff in the media had come out. And I felt really nervous about it, a lot more nervous than I normally feel, like anxious and, and heavy. And I just had to keep reminding myself, I'm here to love and serve and help the people of Saddleback Church. And most of the people here in this congregation, they're not worried about whether the title pastor is given to me or not. They're worried about, I don't know what to do with my teenage kid who's so disconnected and in and, and, and depression right now. And I don't know how to put food on my table and I don't have hope to keep on living. And it's like when I can focus on serving and helping that person, then all this other chatter and noise the volume just gets dialed way down mm-hmm. and it helps me to focus on, on what my calling truly is. It's really good. Go ahead, I think word. one last thing I would add to all of that is you can like so clearly hear Carrie. I think if God were going to pick a spokesperson for women on this issue, Stacy's a really good person. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just, I'm so proud of her, like the humility, the strength that she's displayed. She's such a great example for women in ministry in a way that honors God, honors the church, honors her husband. Um, and I just, I'm so, I'm grateful that we get to be a part of this conversation. In fact, it's, you know, there's a, there's a complexity to navigate with the church, with the denomination. But I think it's, when I, when I look at the grand scheme of what God is up to, this is a really significant moment for the church that could lead to greater empowerment for ministry and greater emphasis on biblical understanding of gender, of how God structured the church, and could be a really powerful moment that moves the church forward. Mm. Well, I want to thank you both so much for coming on and having the conversation. Anything else you want to share before we wrap up? No, thank you. Thanks for, thanks for letting us be back on. Well, it was, it was good to hang out with you when I was in Orange County. Great to connect with you again today. And uh, Andy, your teaching, where does that appear? Is it public or is it just internal for Saddleback? Is there a link we can make to the message? Yeah, we can. It's on our YouTube page. It's about 20 minutes long and it's all the stuff we didn't get to go into here in terms of theology and 
Bible verses and all that. We'll link to it. And there's got to be a good way moving forward where we can talk about things we disagree on without being disagreeable. So thank you for helping us think through that. I really appreciate you both a lot. Well, I'm really glad we went there. Again, not to stir up controversy, but to try to figure out how we can avoid unnecessary controversy heading into the future together. I hope you found that helpful. You can find everything on YouTube. Also, if you want show notes, including transcripts, they're available at kerryneuhoff.com slash episode 561. And of course, they're absolutely free. And that's thanks to our partners. To learn more about He Gets Us and the campaign they're involved in, or to be better yet, a part of their work, visit hegetsuspartners.com slash carry. And don't forget, if you're interested in going to a live taping of this podcast, go to cnlp.live for the live podcast recording I'll be doing in Atlanta, April 26. I'm really looking forward to meeting you and your team, and you'll be part of a live filming of this show. Uh, limited to the first 250 people, cnlp.live. Hey, if you're new to this podcast, thank you so much for listening. Uh, we love to explore the behind-the-scenes conversations that I know I used to want to have with leaders and never had the opportunity. Now I get to do it and bring it to you. And to give you an idea, like we shared so much in these interviews. Uh, Andy, Stacy, my wife, Tony, and I went out for dinner one night when we were in OC. And, uh, you know, it's a very similar conversation. So you're getting the backstory and you'll be getting more backstory in upcoming episodes. We've got David Platt, uh, Will Gadara, owner of the number one restaurant in the world. Uh, what else do we have? Oh man, I just finished up a great conversation with Wynn Collier and Eric Peterson about integrity, reflecting on the life of Eugene Peterson, Chuck DeGroat, Henry Cloud, Seth Godin is back, Mike Hyatt and Megan Hyatt Miller, and a whole lot more. But next episode, we have got Albert Tate. And we did this behind the scenes backstage in LA at his preaching masterclass. Uh, we found some time together. Here's an excerpt. The, my comfort level, because it's not even about the sermon being good. The sermon was good probably both times. Really yeah, good. yeah. Your, your experience delivering it was better in one of the services. Right. And, and you probably hit some things or whatever, but you just had more fun. You had a really good time at the nine. Mm-hmm. And then at the 11, you just can't do this. You, tr- you try to chase the fun you had at the night. Yes. You cannot Bingo. chase it. Mm-hmm. You cannot say, well, I got to remember how I said that, how I said that, because of the timing of that, you got to start over. You got to say, that was a great experience. I'm forgetting everything that happened, and I'm starting from ground zero at the next service. If you don't do that, you are creating just mental despair on yourself. <laughs> yeah. Because you're chasing like, the That wind. didn't land. That yeah. didn't land yeah. like it did a nine. Yeah. You're chasing it. You can't yeah. chase it. And it's a different crowd. It's a different people. It's a different rhythm. So that's coming up next time. And by the way, if you really enjoy watching these episodes, uh, we're doing more and more filming in person. And I've got a bunch of those coming up. And of course, the quality on video keeps getting better every year. So you can check it out at YouTube as well. Just look for my name, Kerry Newhoff. You'll find it there. You can subscribe. You can watch or listen for free wherever you get your podcasts. Now, a general rule as we wrap up that I've followed for years is that an investment in my own leadership is always a yes. So whether that's a book a course, a coach, or a conference I'm interested in, or even just one insight, I'm like, yep, let's go ahead with it. In fact, you know, the last thing I cut in a budget, we used to debate this when I led a church. People, you know, used to say, well, times are tight. We got to cut the conference budget. And I'm like, no, that's the last thing we cut. Because you know what that is? That's your R and D. That's what it is. You cut that and you become irrelevant and you lose. So I've invested over and over and over again, coaches, consultants, books, 
courses, so much more. Well, if you're ready to invest, here's what I'd love for you to do. If you want to lead your team members with better strategies, if you want to navigate change and create a healthy culture at your church, you may be interested in a leadership accelerator I'm offering. Now, all that stuff about costs, you know how much this costs? It's free. It's free because I want you to start by investing in yourself for free. It's a series of videos, checklists, and guides that will teach you the key concepts in each of those areas of leadership, team membership, navigating change, healthy culture, and it's completely free. I really believe it's worth the time you're investing. Again, it covers these three critical areas, and if you want to jump in, invest the time, simply go to leadershipaccelerator.church. That's leadershipaccelerator.church. Well, it's been a thrill to be with you. I hope today's episode has really helped you identify and help scale the next growth barrier that you're facing. We'll catch you next time on the podcast.